Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest, Owen Strand, and we're going to talk about his new book called The War on Men, Why Society Hates Them and Why We Need Them. Owen Strand is provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theology Seminary and a senior fellow with the Family Research Council. He has a PhD in theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and is he's the author of 20 books, wow, and uh, including Reenchanting Humanity, and he lives with his wife and family in Conway, Arkansas. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast, to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Welcome, Owen Strand. Thank you so much, Beckett. Thanks for having me on. Good to have you. And I'm excited to talk about your book, The War on Men. Now, the obvious question is, what motivated you to write this? A lot of different factors. Um, The chief of them would probably be caring for men, wanting the good of men, feeling strange in that regard because it feels like you're wanting the good of dinosaurs or something equivalent to that in 2023. You want the good of men. Men are having their just desserts and eating them too. They've been patriarchal and oppressive for centuries, even millennia, and now they've had a brief intermission where they're not in charge and so they whine. But in reality, if you think about like the little phrase, uh, masculinity is toxic, it's not just that someone like me as an adult man or you is affected by that at some level, 
we can kind of shrug that off. But what I'm especially concerned for are boys and young men mm-hmm. uh, and their plight and also older men, too, who are committing suicide, for example, white adult men. It's not about skin color, but you look at the metrics and they're committing suicide at extremely high rates. And so um, you don't have to be a patriarchal oppressor to care about boys, young men and men. And I think that's what motivates me there. Yeah, that's good. And so and you talk about in the first chapter, you talk about how men are struggling. And I just want to read. Um, you talk about men are struggling, boys are struggling educationally. And you say in terms of a boy and a girl, in general terms, a boy and a girl may sit in the same classroom and be a part of the same grade. But the boy is effectively almost two years behind the girl. That was kind of shocking to me. Yeah, that's where boys are today. Educationally, they are doing very badly. Uh, They're coming in not in a position of flourishing and success. They're coming in in a lot of situations not connected to a dad. The home is either a broken home. One out of three children now in America are in a fatherless home, and most of those fatherless homes are father absent. Um, The boys thus do not have motivation. They don't have guidance. They don't have correction of a father. And um, when you've got social conditions like that, and then you sync that up with education, uh, you've got to recognize the way our educational system in terms of like public schools and that sort of environment is set up. It's not set up for boys flourishing from the jump. So, you know, boys are going to have to sit in a lot of settings for seven to eight hours Uh, That's extremely difficult for boys. I have a 12-year-old boy. I know this firsthand. I also have been a boy and so have prior life experience there. Uh, Boys are not made to be little girls. Boys are different than girls. doesn't mean that boys shouldn't be trained to sit still and pay attention and be polite and respectful. They need to be trained in all those ways and many more we can talk about uh, driven by divine grace ultimately. But fundamentally, our society really isn't set up in lots of contexts, including educational contexts, for the flourishing and good of boys. Recess has been cut in a lot of schools, um, shop or industrial arts or those kind of classes that engage at least some boys in a unique way, in a helpful way. Those have been cut. So boys have lost a lot of the tangible hands-on environments that at the very least help them uh, to do school well. All of this means we're not in a good spot. And yeah, at the college and university level, for every one young woman who drops out of school, you've got seven young men dropping out of school. So a number of those who study these trends in higher ed have said that this is nothing less than a crisis among young men. And indeed it is. And you also talk about um, in the in this chapter, how men are struggling. You talk about um, men are struggling physically and you use this term Gnostic manhood. What Can you talk about what that means? Yeah, I think it means that um, we today talk in the church about men as if our soul matters, but we don't talk as if our body matters. So I don't think that, you know, we're supposed to stage a bench press competition as a test of godliness, you know, every week among the men. That's not what I'm calling for. That's not what I think and good thing for me. But I do think that in a 1 Corinthians 9.27 sense, men are supposed to steward their body and bring it under dominion and cultivate strength as is appropriate and can be done. But today, if you talk that way uh, on social media, you'll have people say, manhood isn't about 
physical strength. It's about prayer and it's about serving your wife if you're married or being pure if you're single or these sorts of things. And all of that is true, Mm -hmm. but God has not made us Gnostic uh, disembodied beings. God has made us uh, an embodied soul. And so part of our discipline before the Lord actually is caring for our body as a stewardship given to us by God. Men are not doing well physically today. Men have lost about 20 pounds of grip strength on average. So you know how tight uh, a man's grip would be when you shake his hand. It's not, again, that we have to win handshake competitions uh, every other weekend, but it is that it's not good for us as men if we can't protect ourselves, lift things, help others. Uh, be a physical presence in the world uh, as God has placed us in it. Yeah. And then you talk about why men are struggling in, in, in another chapter, and you talk about seven key factors. Talk about what the philosophical assault on the family. Well, we've got to recognize in the West that for over 150 years following Marx, those influenced by Marx have been carrying out nothing less than an unrelenting campaign against the natural family. In fact, that's what Marx and Engels call for explicitly with nothing less than an exclamation point at the end of the sentence, uh, abolition of the family in the mm-hmm. Communist Manifesto. That's not what people think of when they think of Marx and they think of Marxism. But actually, Marxism is a diabolical worldview. It's it's history's most successful bad idea. And it's not just disastrous economically, as it surely is. It's also disastrous familially, because Marx and his followers, in one form or another, the cultural Marxists of the 1950s and 60s, the radical race Marxists of today, they all share a common thread, actually, uh, in wanting to destroy the natural family. And so Christians have to stand against that. You look at Black Lives Matter propaganda of the last few years, for example, and uh, before they changed their website, they talked about the abolition of the nuclear family. They very much wanted that. They sought that uh, in their platform. And they include language, for example, that talks about the importance of mothers and children and the broader community in terms of the family. But they mm-hmm. left out men entirely. Well, that, again, shows you what Marxism of various forms is targeting. It's ultimately targeting male headship because Satan hates male headship. Satan wants to take men down. If Satan takes men down in the family, he takes them down in the church. If he takes down the church, he really weakens society. So I think this is all part of a a broader program against men and God's created order. And you also talk about the dominance of of feminism. And, And I talk about this on the show all the time and how the feminist movement and feminism currently is part of the kind of tearing at the fabric of the family, tearing at the fabric of of the, you know, the the family unit. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, there's different waves of feminism and second and third wave feminism in particular go right at the heart of the family. Here again is a, another yet another ideology that seeks to break down the natural family. I don't call it the nuclear family. Uh, there's nothing involving reactors, you know, and chemicals with the family uh, in that sense. But there's the natural family or even the biblical family. Feminism has argued first that women 
should have no major distinction from men in terms of roles in the home. And then feminism actively has sought to displace men from their positions of leadership. So earlier on in the 1960s and around then, feminists are arguing for for equal roles for men and women being interchangeable in the home and in society and in Christian circles uh, in the church. And later on in the 80s and 90s, uh, and beyond, women are supposed to step forward and and not just share leadership, but actively be the leaders. And that's where we are today. It's assumed today. Jordan Peterson is a voice who has pushed back against this in the public square from his own worldview. It's assumed today that women are actually better leaders than men. So you've seen a lot of literature about this in the in the business world, for example, where there used to be this kind of top down. Uh, my way or the highway style of CEO leadership. And now it's empathetic and it's inclusive and everybody has a voice and everybody listens. As a Christian, I'm good. I'm very good with humility and, and that sort of thing. We need that. But it is not the case from, from the scripture that, uh, female leadership is, is good and male leadership is bad. Every male leader has to grow and change and be transformed by divine grace and conformity to the image of Christ. But our culture is not telling us the truth. It's saying that boys and men shouldn't be leaders. Women are the ones who are who have social traits and they should be in leadership as opposed to men who have antisocial traits. And that's just not sound. We'll be right back after this short break. Yeah, and the future <laughs> as they say, the future is female. Um and mm-hmm. so what are some what are some common misconceptions about masculinity that you well, talk fun- about? Yeah, excuse me. Fundamentally, that that manhood is bad, <laughs> that strong manhood, as I call it, is harmful. So you've got the American Psychological Association releasing a report in 2019 on traditional masculinity ideology, as an example, that uh, labels assertiveness, aggressiveness, taking risks, being emotionally tough. All of that, the report says, is bad. All of that is toxic or harmful. And mm-hmm. um, again, I very much am at pains to say in this book, The War on Men, men need the gospel. Men are sinners. Men fail in many ways, just like women fail in many ways. But it is not true that strong manhood, as the APA and other sources very clearly say, are bad. Strong men are what we need desperately. So we're really in a clash of ideas, and the two sides do not agree uh, about strong manhood. I don't see it as the problem. I see it as the solution. And you talk about how does um, the disappearance of masculinity affect, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit, but how does it f- affect both genders? Yeah, we've talked some directly about what happens to men when men are targeted and men are told that they are toxic. Nothing good happens in some. Uh, I mean, if you want, if you want to blow men up, tell them they're toxic and see what happens. Men have different reactions to that. Men will disappear. I talk about lost men in my book. Men will reject your toxicity claim and exaggerate themselves and go a kind of Andrew Tate direction and start to prey on women or use women. Um, Men will also embrace the culture and be uh, soft men and be passive men, good little boys, just the way the culture wants them to be. So all of that affects men in different forms. Men don't react to toxicity claims and related ideologies in all the same way. Uh, But men alone are not affected, as you pointed out rightly just a minute ago. Women are profoundly affected if if men aren't maturing 
if men aren't growing up, if men aren't taking responsibility, women find themselves in a massive predicament in terms of, let's say, women more inclined to a kind of leftist worldview today. A lot of those women have been trained in and and educated in the ideas that we've been discussing. So they've been trained mm-hmm. to believe that it is a terrible thing for a man to be strong and traditional and be a leader. Okay. But if you listen to modern women, yes, they've had that ideology drilled into them. They probably parrot it to some degree. But, it, but it, again, if you pay attention, a lot of them are actually saying, wait a minute, this is not a good bargain because what I'm ending up with around me are overgrown boys. I'm ending up with very few men that I would even remotely see as a candidate to marry me. I've got young men who are childish. I've, they're, they're drawn to video games. They're drawn to small pursuits. They don't want to work. They don't want to take care of me. You had a young woman, for example, on TikTok uh, several months ago who basically said exactly what I'm saying. She's a leftist, self-proclaimed, but she wanted a man who did not hold to traditional ideology but did, to at least a degree, take care of her, help her, provide for her to the degree she wanted. That is the modern female predicament among, I would say, a a good sector of modern women, leftist women in particular, where they've been trained that strong manhood is bad, but they want a strong man at least to some degree in their life, uh, because most of us are wired that way. So, what our culture has done is put men and women alike in an unsolvable catch 22. Yeah. And you talk about um, the physical distinctiveness of men and uh, talk about, you talk about seven or eight uh, aspects of that, but talk about test the connection between testosterone and risk taking for men. Mm -hmm. Men on average have 2000 to 3000% more testosterone than women. That is an absolutely massive difference. It's, it's, a, it's almost a stat that explains the differences between men and women in one sentence. There are more differences. Men on average have 50 to 60% more upper body strength than women. Uh, men have a far greater ability to compartmentalize and, and focus on one task that is often read today in a very negative way. Think about how we've all been, uh, demanded to multitask all the time. And um, you, you do have to juggle things in life, right? But that's actually not going to work for a lot of uh, men. Men are less empathetic than women uh, on average and less nurturing. That can be bad, like all of these traits can be put to bad ends. It also can be good because uh, it means that men can be less susceptible you know, to attacks or to deception or that sort of thing. I don't portray all women as gullible, but I would say God has clearly called men in certain uh, physiological ways uh, and constitutive ways to be a protector. And so those are just some of the differences. That's part of why, as we were talking about earlier with boys, that's part of why boys need outlets, physical outlets very badly. It's not because they need... Wow. Uh, Ritalin because they're, they're, uh, energetic. Some boys may need, uh, help in certain forms from a doctor, but a ton of boys don't need medication. A ton of boys need outlets. They need positive, uh, dimensions where they can discharge their energy because they have that 2000 to 3000% extra testosterone than girls. That's why, you know, over the years when I would get home from work, my son would tackle me, you know, in happiness and my girls would come up to me and yes, they would squeeze me, but I wasn't getting tackled. Um, that's because those kids are, are constituted differently from God. So we've got to recognize that and not see that necessarily as evil or bad. 
Yeah. And you talk about in, in, in uh, the war on men, you talk, there's a chapter on the social distinctiveness of men and you talk about 15 reality realities of strong manhood. Um, what are, talk about a, cu- a couple of those realities of, of what, it, what is strong manhood? You say men talk straight, for example, what does that mean? Well, men do well when they are communicating directly, and you have lots of examples in Scripture of that. You think of how Jesus communicates. Um, a lot of people flock to what Jesus says. A lot of people hate what Jesus says. A big reason why is Jesus speaks in clarity and declarative sentences and lines things out and does not leave things in passive-aggressive, ambiguous states. And, uh, that's, that's how typical forthright masculine communication, I think, should go in a lot of, in a lot of forms. Men are wired to, to be clear with one another. Men don't do well in a passive aggressive setting. They're going to miss a lot of cues. Um, men are wired as well. I talk about socially in that chapter to be a certain level of ferocious. Men are, are called to face down big odds. Men, men aren't born, aren't born. Bo- boys are not born wanting to be weak. Men are born wanting to be, uh, wanting to be strong. That's what boys are wired to want to be. Boys want to be strong. And, um, so, so when men want to relax, at least a good number of men, not all men, but, uh, you know, the, the, when they put on a movie at night or something, how, how many men put on a war movie? I mean, you think about how funny that is, how ironic that is to put on a war movie to relax. But that's because <laughs> that's because there's wiring in a man where he wants to see a heroic struggle unfold. It's the same thing with sports. Um, sports can be read as boyish and in a sense they are and men should, you know, watch that. But also sports are conflictual and and teleological there's a goal to sports there's this great contest that's unfolding men want to prove themselves as men they want to be courageous they want to be part of a bigger cause our culture says all of that is bad um but but i would say all of that is is god given yeah and you you mentioned jesus uh talk about because you you have a chapter on jesus as the foundation of strong manhood uh what are some more aspects of of Jesus and how he exemplified genuine, true manhood. Jesus is the true man. He's the God man. So truly divine, truly human. But we can't lose sight of the fact that Jesus is not gender neutral or androgynous. Jesus is a full blooded man. Uh, he, he works in some form with his hands for most of his life. He's in a trade. He doesn't have a fancy profession. He's not in a white collar industry to speak in a modern sense. None of that means that, you know, doing your work on a computer, as I often do, is necessarily wrong or bad, but it does tell us something about the manhood of Jesus. We see also that Jesus is a marvelous blend of different facets of manhood. There's a lot we could talk about, but fundamentally, Jesus is not either gentle or tough. And that's the way Jesus can be portrayed today in the evangelical world and even the reformed world. People kind of pick the Jesus they like. Well, guess what? A lot of people in the kind of context we're discussing like a gentle Jesus. They don't like a tough Jesus, but you don't pick one or the other. You have to do justice to the biblical Jesus. The biblical Jesus in the gospels in Matthew 19, 13 to 15, for example, calls kids to himself. He says, let the little children come to me. And he warmly welcomes them and engages them. That gives you a little window 
into how Jesus is tender and kind and warm. He's not a cold savior. He's a warm savior. And I love that. And godly men are called to be like Jesus and be warm to children in a, in a righteous way. But then that's not all we need to say about Jesus. Jesus is also tough. I mean, you think of John 2, 13 to 17, where he makes a whip of cords and drives the money changers from the temple. That shows you that uh, Jesus is not afraid to call a spade a spade. He's not afraid to face down evil. Uh, you think of 1 John 3, 8 along those lines. The reason the Son of God appeared, John writes, was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus is this warrior king. At the same time that he is meek and gentle, he's not one thing, he's many things. And I think that is supposed to shape us, Beckett, as men. Uh, that's supposed to push us into cultivating uh, different traits and abilities. Yeah, I like that. Um, so, you and you have a chapter on the foundation of strong manhood in the, in, in the New Testament. You talk... You give um, a lot of examples in another chapter of men in the Old Testament, but talk about New Testament teaching and a couple of examples of of what that foundation of manhood is in the New Testament. Yeah, there again, you see the multidimensionality of biblical manhood. We are called to be those who, First Peter three seven, if we're in marriage, we we listen to our wife, we we live with her in an understanding way. So. Biblical manhood is not brash manhood. Uh, it's not macho manhood. It's not, it's also not a form of manhood today that you see out there in the reformed world where the man is the head in a form that he just hands down the law every morning descending from Mount Sinai with his coffee cup in his hand and everybody, wife and children cower at his feet. That's just not biblical manhood. Um, he is the head of his home. He is genuinely the one who has authority and leadership in the home, and we're not batting an eye about that. We're not scared of the culture in saying that, but fundamentally, even as he is called to make the decisions for the family, he has the responsibility to do that. He's also the one who is called to live with his wife understandingly. Well, what's involved in that? Well, a whole lot of gentleness, a whole lot of patience, a whole lot of listening well, a whole lot of engaging and and having co good conversation and marital communication, not a whole lot of descending from Mount Sinai, handing down edicts to wife. And so that's one example of New Testament manhood that is challenging in our flesh. These are, these are impossible realities to live out, Beckett, by the way, in a God-glorifying way. I just got to say this. It's impossible. It's not hard to be a biblical man. It's impossible to be a biblical man. You've, whether you're married or single, you've got to have gospel grace operative in order to live this way. Um, we're not calling men just to do this more. We're calling men to be born again in Jesus Christ, to, to depend upon the grace of God, single or married, for every minute of their existence. And that is how you're formed into biblical manhood. At the same time, you've got to recognize 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, andrizesta in the Greek, act like men. So yes, you're, you're tender and you're a good listener as the spirit works in you and changes you over time. But you're also one who is courageous and unflinching. Yeah, I like that. And 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 the the good news you, in the last chapter of your of your book, the War on Men, you talk about uh, it's called the plan for boys and a way back for men, and you give seven ways back. What can you talk about? A couple of the ways back to to manhood. A couple of the ways back would be take responsibility for your spiritual life 
Um, that's really where all of this begins. When David says to his son Solomon, be strong and show yourself a man, a verse you rarely ever hear preached on or touched on today. Um, David then goes on to define that strength in terms of spiritual strength, walking in the ways of God, basically in First Kings 2. And I think that applies to men today in that the, the very foundation of all biblical manhood practically from our experience is supposed to be, as the gospel takes hold of us, a living flesh and blood engagement with God. So we no longer just bump along living passively or living selfishly. Now we say, wait a minute, whether I get married or not, I am called to steward my life. I'm called to develop uh, a prayer walk with God. I need to be in the scripture. I need to be identifying sin. I need to be walking in godliness uh, asking God for strength to do that. And so the first revolutionary act that needs to happen for young men in particular is they need to be trained, to discipled, to take responsibility for themselves spiritually. Uh, they also need to become a planner. A lot of young men are not being trained to be a planner or put things into order. Um, a lot of us are challenged in those ways, and yet we need to learn a key part of taking dominion is forming good plans. That's one whole area of biblical manhood. That's one part of the plan for manhood. Another part, though, is what happens when men break? What happens when men, they hear a call like this, like we're talking about, and it doesn't encourage them. It doesn't galvanize them as we pray it will. It condemns them because they look in their past and they've got a failed marriage or they've got broken relationships with their kids, or their career has cratered, uh, or they're not walking in holy ways with God. They're not a member of a church. And a huge part of what I'm trying to do in this book, The War on Men, is not just set the standard, however humbly I can, in inadequately I can. I'm also trying to say, look, Christ is a rescue swimmer. Um, God is one who loves going into the shadows and pulling people out of darkness. And so I want men to hear a very vibrant, redemptive note in this book. Our God is the God who loves prodigal sons. Our God is the God who will restore years the locust has eaten. And I don't think men are hearing that message of hope. And even in a lot of context, Beckett, where you've got like Manosphere voices or Joe Rogan or Jocko Willink or whoever, those guys have some practical wisdom to offer men, but here's what they don't have divine oh, grace. Right. And, and that's what men most need. Okay. We're going to leave it there. The book is the war on men, why society hates them and why we need them. Where can people find this book and where can people connect with you online? Yeah. Oh. Thank you. Yeah. People can find it at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Those are good places to go. Um, it's out there. And um, in terms of me, I have a podcast called Grace and Truth with Owen Strand. Grace and Truth. That's on the Salem Podcast Network, and I'm on. That's a Twitter. new pod. That's a new podcast. What's what's the what's it about besides Grace? Yeah, and yeah it's a it's about yeah it's about Grace and Truth. That's it. Uh, it's about <laughs> it's about all of life, really. Uh, it's a cultural engagement podcast. So you know, I I am a guy of many interests, and so on one episode we're talking about. Uh, what's going on tragically in Israel. The next we're talking about art. The next I'm reviewing a great Western film. 
and the next I'm expositing a biblical passage. So it's a little bit eclectic. It's a kind of Schaefer-inspired sort of cultural engagement podcast. So Grace and Truth is there. Nice. And that's on YouTube and on, on any podcast platform. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Owen Strand, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Beckett. I appreciate it. Okay, guys, get the book, The War on Men. It's important. Give it to your husband. Give it to you. If women, if you're watching, give it to your husbands or your, your sons or your boyfriends. Um, it's very helpful. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.